good afternoon or, or well good good evening good night for me yeah getting ready for another another episode looking in some market crashes yeah pretty excited to take a look you know certainly a lot of discussion goes on about market crashes and we've actually covered a couple of major market events and highlight episodes in the past but uh want to just kind of take a wide view this week and uh, maybe see what kind of similarities we can notice over the hundreds of years of the, uh, you know, effective hundreds of years of the modern financial markets. Yeah, some of these uh, things go back to the 1600s. I think, well, that's when the first technical crash happened or bubble burst. Um, but uh something i was reading about it earlier it's actually um uh not really a crash as such because uh it only affected some people's socioeconomic status it didn't actually affect the economy uh overall um but it's still the number one referred to uh crash out there Let's see chad mojo wants to come up and bring him on up oh yeah come on in. um and yeah, I've just put in the nest, uh, and these will be in the show notes too. We've got some links to some articles as well as uh, an Investopedia page and a Wikipedia page, um, which just lists a bunch of market crashes. There's some good overviews, but um, I think what we're going to mostly focus on is the Daily FX uh, article. And... Uh, People can follow along if they want. I'm just trying to dig up the, the URL, get it nice and big on my screen now. Well, in the meantime, you know, while we're getting all set up, while we're getting everything in the nest, you know, thanks everyone for stopping in for taking stock. And before we hop into talking about market crashes and bubbles in general and how they can how they can develop, what their effects are, that kind of thing. Uh just want to shout out, as always, development on the YDRS database, eventually intending to support DRS resources and advocacy for all 11,000-ish publicly traded U.S. stocks. Uh, we've recently got about uh, hit the milestone of about 65% of all investor relations and company contact information uh, in the database and supported on the website. So uh, that's a massive number. The ones that are left are mostly very small companies and uh, companies that don't even always have this data listed anywhere we've been able to find, but we'll chase it down. And if you want to help out with that, uh, stop by the website, uh, go to the database tab. You'll see all the information you need to know if you want to volunteer any of your time to help building this free resource for uh, the globe of investors who might be interested in ownership one day. Yeah, and we're cracking away at the... Um broker guide side of it as well we're starting to put together templates and things that will eventually become the broker guide builder and so you can literally plug in any ticker and whichever broker you use around the world and it'll give you the the roadmap on how to directly register those shares uh no matter the transfer agent no matter the company um and uh, i think that's going to help a lot of people especially if we're like along with the investor relations we're hoping to reach out to companies and we're also hope, hoping to reach out to more people uh especially later on this year um but yeah right now 
between taking stock uh, our public discord um which i'll put the uh the link to in the nest as well because uh the more the merrier there there's some amazing research being done uh and also more and more kind of organizing and action uh, over the coming months is is the hope uh either way we'll be there we'll be taking action we'll be uh yeah making making things happen um but obviously the more the merrier many hands make light work and all that uh it would be amazing to see uh, the community come together over some something actionable like that. But uh, yeah, um, but yeah, for for tonight, um, we're going to get into uh, market crashes uh, and what causes the markets to to collapse under its own weight, uh, <laughs> rather than uh, taking back uh, our stocks. But uh, uh, yeah, I mean, where to start? Well, maybe the best place to start is going to be just to define or talk about the definitions that we'll use for some of these major uh, market terms. Um, so essentially, right, we've got we're going to have a couple of different sorts of events that we're we'll be covering uh, briefly throughout this episode before we kind of open up to more of a group discussion. Uh, but essentially. You know, first off, you've got your uh, financial bubble, and that is essentially where, uh, through some combination of uh, speculation, um, investor interest, the market dynamics, but you have this one single asset class or one single item, which is appreciating in value and in perceived market value very, very quickly, and then often even more quickly, uh, eventually the bubble pops is the common terminology, and that's when you have a massive price depreciation. And because that can happen even more quickly than the, that appreciation, and there's so much speculation involved, uh, that can have you know a major negative impact on those investors because you know the folks that get involved in a speculative trade like that, uh, maybe they're probably quite convinced by whatever was going on, and uh, and may not realize that you know maybe there's not uh, intrinsic value or uh, not intrinsic value recognized by the market. Uh, something comes to light, and we'll cover some examples of that uh, coming right up. Uh, then, on kind of like a, another level above that, you've got a, a flash crash, which you could almost imagine as multiple bubbles um, at the same time within the same area of the market. So perhaps if uh, there's major market duress in one, uh, you know, area of the trade, like if there's a particular commodity and several companies undergo the same uh, sudden price change at once, maybe there's that kind of flash crash. That can happen for a variety of reasons as well. Um, but essentially, is that you can think of it as a uh, that kind of segregated area of the market and that kind of same hit. And then, lastly, at you know following the scale of uh, of severity, you've got a massive you know the financial crisis which essentially just hits many, many different industries, many areas of trade, uh, and you have the, that massive depreciation in perceived market value. Uh, often what can happen, and we'll talk a bit about this later on as well, but you know, sometimes when people are operating on speculative trading and involved with margin, 
Um, that even the biggest players in the market, or maybe I should say, especially the biggest players in the market do trade in that way. And so you can have almost like a domino effect where as certain major commodities are hit, then that changes the collateral value of trading positions in other major commodities. And you have a cascading problem that develops from there. Um, I think, yeah, where better to start than, than at the beginning of the timeline of all the crashes um you, you mentioned speculative bubbles and uh this is the epitome of those uh it was the the dutch tulip mania that that lasted around 1634 to th- th- 1637 ish um and uh the more i read about it the more it was just uh like pokemon cards or uh, any kind of collectible people wanted certain types of tulips uh there was one called semper augustus that was very popular uh in terms of just pure price it wasn't even it wasn't like it was very popular in terms of quantity and it was everywhere um but yeah it would uh these bulbs would cost a lot more than like uh, 10 times more than the annual income of a skilled craft worker so uh yeah definitely outside uh the realms of the average day uh person i think to be investing in these or buying these um but uh, as i mentioned right at the top some people probably missed um it's actually while it's referred to as the first kind of recorded speculative bubble or asset bubble in history in many ways it was actually more of a uh socio-economic phenomenon rather than a significant economic crisis because it mostly just affected incredibly rich people. I think some someone gave up like loads of land just to get one tulip bulb. Um, so some people made out like bandits. Um, but overall, the kind of economy of, of the Netherlands w- wasn't greatly impacted by it. Um, people weren't left homeless and, and destitute like uh, so many others. But um but yeah, I, I just found it funny, the the kind of uh, parallels between like, oh, I need to have this exact kind of tulip that really speaks to me. Um, and it's stuff that we see happening even today with, um, yeah, things from, from Pokemon cards to NFTs and cryptocurrencies and everything. Um, and uh, it goes to show that you gotta you can you need more than a pretty face when it comes to investing in something if if it looks cool and you like it buy it and own it great but uh if you're looking to buy it and sell it on or profit then uh you need a bit more than something that just looks nice <laughs> and uh but yeah i that's pretty much the the uh the basics of the old tulip mania people people were going nuts for them and then uh when was it at the peak uh yeah it's hard to know just kind of how it all collapsed because actually a lot of it similar to the creation of the federal reserve is kind of hard to get primary sources um on on the topic uh there have been a few people who've kind of written about it but again, it's kind of uh, a lot of trust me, bros. Um, but yeah, uh, so I'm trying to find how it all collapsed. But uh... well, 
it's uh it's one of these things where it was was a while ago we're coming up on the 400 year anniversary when it comes to the tulip bubble um according to some of the graft information that we have in some sources in the nest um which itself is not clearly sourced but according to that at least it shows about a 60 times uh increase over the period of uh, three or two and a half three years that this mania was ongoing um, and I know it's it's almost funny looking back, like, oh, all these people trading over over tulip bulbs. It's like not even a bloomed flower. It's this, uh, you know, thing that you would then be able to potentially breed and then resell. Um, who's to say even how something like that could have gotten started? But I think we've got the benefit of hundreds of years looking back at this event. And we can say, oh, well, that's that's just crazy. But, uh, you know, human nature hasn't changed all that much you know as Bipic mentioned of course pokemon cards were huge the one i always think about maybe this is betraying my age but the beanie baby craze from a couple decades ago if folks remember that um i always think about the the couple in a courtroom dividing their beanie babies between them because they thought they were the most valuable asset they had uh not their house not their car but these uh stuffed animals and you know, you get enough years later, you look back, well, of course, that didn't make any sense. But either way, it's the same uh, human interest in uh, speculation in the this particular niche asset. And we see the same pattern uh, of behavior. So, you know, uh, and, and cosmetic NFTs is a fantastic mo uh, modern example. You know, there's plenty of applicable NFTs, the technology can be useful. But the ones that are just uh, art, um, you know, don't have necessarily intrinsic value. And so we saw a lot of that same kind of bubble activity. Uh, but we'll get to the more modern examples as we continue on. Yeah, and before we move on to the next one in, in the um, Daily FX article, uh, there's another one listed on Wikipedia uh, just before that in 1684. Um, and it's slightly connected to france as well it's the the uh oh what's the actual name of it uh, the mississippi bubble um and uh basically uh bank bank royale uh it's like a royale with cheese but a bank i guess and uh they stopped payments of its note in exchange for uh something called uh specie uh i'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced but it's a it's a kind of coin uh that was from back back in that time and uh so this was something that was going on in mississippi in america and it actually caused uh, an actual economic collapse back in france because it was uh directly connected to the to the banks in france um and there's not a huge amount more of information that I am able to dig out very quickly on it, but uh, yeah, um, it was just an economic bubble. It doesn't say if it was speculative or uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> the so these these things definitely do happen, right? And we even see uh, it, it's funny that Mississippi is mentioned because the. You know, we also see here in 1720, again, with the uh, Mississippi Company, we had, um, uh, looks like the British government uh, was ultimately had to undertake a massive bailout because the 
uh, stock price had gone up by 700% of this company in 1720 in just six months. And there were, a bu- you know, uh, presumably there were a bunch of relevant to the British government, you know, private interest or otherwise that were on the other side of that, of that trade uh, requiring a bailout. And at least according to this article, uh, that debt of seven, several million pounds is still being paid off in small increments three centuries later. Uh, isn't it nice to be able to be a government and overwrite that amount? <laughs> Absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's the old adage of... If you uh, if you owe the bank a hundred pounds, that's your problem. But if you owe the bank a hundred million pounds, that's the bank's problem. Yeah, and I guess if if the banks um, owe a hundred million pounds, then it's the government's problem. <laughs> Maybe we should start adding that on. Yeah. <laughs> Give it the rule of threes. Why not? Um. And then, yeah, after that South Sea bubble, there's a big skip in in the article all the way up to the 1929 Wall Street crash. But uh, if you take a look at the the Wikipedia article, there is so many more. But it's uh, like there's the the Bengal bubble of 1769, primarily caused by the British East India Company, whose shares fell from, uh, well, they more than halved in uh that's crazy in <laughs> in several years so i don't see how that's a bit of a bubble or a crash but uh yeah we've got the crisis of 1772 the financial crisis of 1791 which is in america uh that shows the first bank of you of the united states boom and bust in august and september 1791 um and the groundwork of Alexander Hamilton's cooperation with the Bank of New York uh, to end this event uh, would be crucial in ending the panic of 1792 in the year afterwards. So, and then there's just several more. We've got <laughs> several more panics. We've got the panic of 1796, the panic of 1819, the panic of 1825, the panic of 1837, the panic of 1840. There's just a lot of panicking going on for for almost 100 years uh, um, until we come up onto, uh, God, yeah, even more panics, 1893, 1896, panic of 1901, panic of 1907. <laughs> um it's almost too many to dive into. I think these are much smaller panics rather than full on crashes. Um, but yeah. Well, at least after all this panic, people got to kind of re- sit back and just uh, relax with a bunch of gains and, and good times uh, during the roaring 20s, right? Uh, and, and then the, that must have been a really nice time for them after all those decades of panic. Yeah, they went ham. I mean, it was the invention of the flapper and and all sorts in the twenties. It was a good time <laughs> until it wasn't. Because uh, <laughs> uh, when did it start? Was it in? Yeah, the kind of rise began in nineteen twenty five, all the way up until nineteen twenty nine, um, which is when the 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 crash came down, and it was a deep crash, which which was even rebounded slightly and then a big old crash after that it's a classic 
crash patterns. Yeah, this, this graph, um, you know, if you look at the Dow Jones, which, you know, of course, it was the modern, you know, the major trading index at that time. Uh, there's a graph here on the uh, Daily FX article showing 1921 to 1932. And uh, we see that from 21 to 29, it went up, you know, 500% or so, uh, absolutely incredible, 497%. And then from the crash, I mean, this this is brutal to look at. It lost almost half of its value, down 50%, rebound slightly, um, another gets gains back 20, but then crashes down again and oh, ends up having lost by the time 1932 rolls around about 90% uh, from where it was in 29. So that is just, uh, and remember, that was the major market index for for everything going on in the U.S. stock market at that time. So uh, by far the most severe uh, of any of these incidents that we'll see in the, as we go through. Um, just incredible to think about and um, and to speculate about. And as we're coming up on the 100-year anniversary there, that one as well. I'm just uh, looking at the the old Wikipedia page on it, um, and uh, yeah, so some scholars believe that um, declines in the money supply caused by the Federal Reserve and their decisions <laughs> had severely affected uh, contractionary. Oh my God, contractionary effect on output. Um, and despite that, uh, it was widely believed that the stock market would continue to rise forever. um which yeah so it was kind of uh largely this optimism it led a lot of people to uh take out loans to go and buy more stocks and then those loans would come due and then uh during as the crash had begun and then that led to the kind of continued uh selling over over the four years from yeah 1929 and it just kept on going. So there's a, there's a little bit of leverage going on, a little bit of centralization kind of getting in the way. Um, and uh, all the and people over leveraging, right? I mean, where I don't know where I've, I feel like I've heard that before in the last couple of years. You know, people saying stocks only go up or people talking about, you know, taking out loans or operating on high leverage to access the bull market. And you know, by and large, it's true. The last 15 years overall have been uh, fruitful, but I think what we what we can see looking at the history here is that that does not typically well. It never has, I should say, never has last for lasted forever. Um, so that's something to keep in mind, right? Yeah, it seems to be people who love a little bit of the short term turnaround uh, that get that jump in. Um, uh, but yeah, if you're willing to leave your your money in there for decades, then sure, it'll be all right. But that's not the case for the for the average person. I think most people are in and out a lot quicker than uh, your your average Warren Buffett. But, uh, but yeah. So the, the next uh, this one is really uh, interesting to me. Um, the next major one covered here is uh, the silver and gold price bubble in 1980. And so this is one that I, I'm not or wasn't very familiar with at all prior to uh, just doing some reading for this. But essentially, you know, we had some uh, private investors uh, with a lot of free capital, sons of an oil, oil tycoon, H.L. Hunt, 
Um, his two sons tried to corner the the silver market in 1980, and uh, were able to drive the price of silver uh, up massively. Um, like in 1980 was the most egregious um, growth, but if if uh, they were trying to buy it for a period of time before then. And so it actually went up, and this is just incredible. Over a period of about ten years, three thousand seven hundred and eighty-eight percent trading value. Uh, the silver went managed to go up, and then right after it hit that peak, it crashed almost completely back down, eighty um, percent back down. Uh, although still tons of gains for those who got involved in the late nineteen seventies, uh, and a lot of that you know gets pointed at these Hunt brothers for cornering the market, as it were, on the trading bullion uh, that was available in the market. Yeah, that's a real sharp U-turn on that, on those graphs, on both both silver and gold, by the looks of it. Or is that... Oh, no, they're just in the article, at least for me, it's showing just the silver graph twice. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, it looks like a, an error on the on the website editor's part. Uh, so we, we don't have a good visual for the gold um, prepared by these guys. We have to look that one up. <laughs> no, yeah, letters to the editor. Um, someone's asking if they could ask a question. I'm just going to see if I can find. Them oh yeah, of course. Invite them up. Good lord. Oh, here we go. Maybe I. Um, While I'm trying to figure that out, there there was a couple more things in between 1929 and uh, 1980 as well, um, which uh, some of them are kind of obvious. We got the recession uh, around the depression. It's in 1937. Um, Then there's the the flash crash of 1962, also known as the Kennedy slide, which I still think is a dance move when I when I hear it. Um, <laughs> can't I just don't know why, but that's just how how <laughs> I just picture Kennedy sliding around. Um, and uh, yeah, let's see, the S and P declined 22.5 percent. Uh, in the first half of 1962, um, and it didn't recover until the end of the the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, yeah, it was the second largest decline on record for the for the uh, Dow Jones as well. Um, so yeah, I'm surprised that wasn't mentioned. Uh, and then. Uh, there's the Brazilian market crash, but that's nothing really to do with it. There's a, there was a UK stock market crash in 73, 74. Um, and then, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, that's it until there's um, Black Monday, which comes up in 1987, um, which is quite an infamous one. Again, I'm surprised that's not in the, in the, uh, Daily FX article. Um, oh man, trying to. Is he even still in? Maybe he's not. Trying to multitask and find this guy <laughs> who has to come up. 
as well as well we're we're coming up here on where we'd want to be opening it up anyways uh because it's kind of a roll through on some of the major you know just just rolling through um we have the uh what happened there was i mid-sentence yeah yeah and i was also in the middle of looking down this list and then it muted and i was like Oh, it was quiet. Let me check back, and it said I've muted everyone. But, got a couple of Twitter experts here. Yeah. Usually at this point, something's going a bit crazy in the spaces. Like if I'm trying to add links, it's going a bit wild. Yeah, unfortunately, I think our guy who's trying to ask a question, he might not be in the call anymore. If he is still around, or if anyone else has any questions, definitely put your hands up, and uh, we'll get around to you for sure. Because, yeah, we're here to talk to you guys as much as uh, we are here to talk about whatever topic we, we bring along with us. And uh, who knows, like, there could be some some of you in the audience that know a lot more about this stuff than we do. <laughs> we just like to bring a nice little uh, um, conversation starter. While people are, you know, mustering up the courage uh, to raise the hand, you know, as far as that uh, Japanese crisis in 89, uh, that was following the um, the U.S. crisis in '87. You know that has been identified as being having a lot to do with uh, real estate and stock market bubbles happening simultaneously. That ended that collapsed uh, the stock market. Their major index, uh, Nikkei, uh, went down um, about 63 percent over a period of three years at the beginning of the 1990s. Uh, a great documentary about this, just by the way, for those that want to hear more about it. Um, and the 10-year recovery uh, leading up into the new millennium is Princess of the Yen. Um, really great. Definitely uh, uh, recommended. That's a really terrific documentary. But what we see there, I think, is um, in terms of the uh, real estate uh, impact and how that can um, expand out into the broader uh, market space is kind of reflected just a few years later uh, in some ways with the uh, 2008 financial crisis. Uh, the instruments accomplishing it were different. You know, anyone who know, watched The Big Short knows uh, all about um, these different, you know, tranches of um, collateralized debt. But uh, the out, outspring of the impact on other market spaces was pretty similar. And the years of recovery to follow in some ways, I think, and the pain for the everyday individual uh, in terms of their household finance was also pretty similar. So some cool parallels there. And uh, yeah, John, oh, yay. Yeah. Thanks for bringing yourself back up, John. I'm sorry I couldn't find you. But yeah, you're, what uh, What questions did you have? Yeah, I just wondering what your thoughts are on the self-proclaimed leaders of the CBDY space and all the misinformation they're putting out. Thank you. Sorry, John, I wasn't really able to catch what you said. I had something about a BBBY space, but I'm not sure if that's uh, uh, if it was pro or anti. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I've just uh, Chad's asked to come up. Maybe you know more uh, as you're more more au fait with that world. No, I just couldn't hear as a uh, listener for some reason. It's weird. Oh, maybe we're having those issues again. No, I think I think everybody's cool. Like everybody put up a an emoji if you can hear speakers, but I think it I think it's just a problem right now, but yeah. What was that what was that guy's question? Maybe I could answer. 
We don't know. I'm not sure. He's just disappeared. It's kind of hard to understand. Something. Um, well, I just saw someone give a thumbs up, so at least we're well. People can hear us. <laughs> um, but yeah, might have been something to do with the uh, Bed Bath and Beyond spaces. There's a lot of them going on on here on on Twitter. So uh, it might have been assumed that we we were one. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Red flag. I had that guy blocked. I don't know. Whatever. All good. Anyway, carry on. No worries. Um, well, uh, yeah, I think uh, blah, blah, blah. there's more we can dig into a little bit with the Black Monday crash because uh, it set a lot of precedents. Um, it was uh, the greatest one day percentage decline in US stock market history. Um, and uh, among the, the primary causes of the chaos were program trading and illiquidity. So a lack of liquidity caused, I guess, things to cease up and everyone to freak out. Uh, <laughs> although I'm not sure how a price can decline if, if you can't trade the stock. But uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, volume grew drier and drier. And uh, because of it, uh, circuit breakers were put in place uh, to prevent a repeat of Black uh, Black Monday. Uh, I almost said Black Friday. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, after a 7% drop now, a trading would be suspended for, set for 15 minutes uh, with the same 15-minute suspension kicking in after a 13% drop. Uh, or in the event of a 20% drop, trading would be shut down for the remainder of the day. Um, so there's definitely... They were like, oh, we can't let that happen again. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess to kind of help put a stopgap in place so they can get their, get their house in order um, and uh, make sure, I don't know, they can prop things back up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I can't remember what exactly triggered it uh, other than just illiquidity. Um, but... I feel like it's, these things would be more at the top of my mind, but I'm so deep in the broker stuff now. I'm smooth to so many other things. Um, also, John wanted to come back up. Let's see if we can hear better this time. Oh, and he's gone again. Or is he? Oh, that could just be Twitter on my end. No, he's still there. Cool. That happened last time as well. Um, yeah, John, what were you saying last time? Yeah, sorry about that. I think my mic's back. Is it better now? Or? It's a little bit better, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I was just wondering if you know much about 1099 form. The, what's that? 1099 form? Yeah. The most... Do you mean for someone to work as a contract? Yeah, I'm not sure what the RA is. It's just I have five shares of BBBY and it's saying a realised loss. So I'm thinking about claiming it as a loss. I think, is that the right thing to do? The 1099 is a form that you get for tax purposes. Um, I don't know if this is the right space for that, but uh, I don't know. You, yeah, yeah. But people, people on the internet can't give you advice like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. Like I, try, I know very little about it myself, um, uh, and it seems like, yeah, I with I, I think brokers send them out to people. Um, yeah, I got mine yesterday. 
and uh yeah at that point like it's hard to know like well yeah if if the broker's likely sold or made the loss for you already i think yeah i haven't heard of any brokers still holding on to the shares anyway uh, i think most of them have forced yeah. sold them um yeah. it's probably a question for a qualified accountant if yeah. it's about your taxes um you know we wouldn't want to give you incorrect information even if we were familiar with your exact question or need but yeah i mean it's fascinating i've never heard about them before so it's kind of interesting to see the process and yeah i'm sure it will continue and hopefully more information gets revealed i think as well when it comes to taxes um at least in england um you can kind of choose to defer certain things to ne the next year um so if you're not ready to make that choice now uh you can you can always hold off uh especially if you want to talk to a tax professional first um but uh yeah again even with the deferring stuff that's that's not my area of expertise uh but uh yeah it could be could be a good topic to dive into at some point um even though it's super niche i, I think i'm doing a space on thursday um regarding that so if you want to just follow me john uh, we could be uh be best buds and uh yeah a couple things. appreciate that uh chad mojo just make sure to follow that guy check out that space tomorrow um as far as the see these market events go you know the um it's interesting the daily effects article uh that has a lot of these great graphs their second half and almost entirely focuses on the last uh 20 years or so so it's it's much more uh, modern focused, which ultimately is going to be uh, pretty helpful. Even though the uh, underlying uh, your trading, um, you know, the way the trading works, uh, like that's pretty much the same as it's always been, right? What's the only major thing that's changed in the last few decades is the speed. Um, you know, we've got high frequency trading now. We've got instead of people squeezing in like sardines on the trading floor across the world, you know, across the world and markets, we've got computers that are just uh, going down to the fraction of a fraction of a cent and, um, you know, trading around millions of times uh, in a moment. And so even though things are the same, they're also super different. And I think in some ways we uh, can see that because these isolated flash crashes or uh, market bubbles are in some ways more common than they've ever been. And maybe that's because, you know, I'm just speculating here, but maybe that's because there's so much more uh, trading volume uh, happening so much more frequently. You know, the, the trading hours of the day have been expanded. Uh, settlement times have gone down, uh, but effective trading time with these computers and with uh, the crypto side markets that are 24 seven, um, you know, there's just so much more activity. And then of course, a lot of the folks listening on this call are probably retail investors who are more recently involved and uh, direct involvement in the stock market, of course, is at super all-time highs. People are operating under their own power, uh, deciding for themselves what trades to make rather than throwing in their lot with some larger broker-managed fund uh, in greater and greater numbers. And so I think we see uh, more of these things happening for that reason as well. Um, and that's why I think it's so important to just be familiar with the history and to look at some of these recent events as well, 
so that you can keep in mind some of these different things when you're choosing about your own investment strategy. Um, you know, everyone has their own different uh, due diligence preferences, has different things they're looking for and uh, different impact they want to make with their investment. But it's good to have a framework behind that, uh, in my opinion, just to have a more steady ground uh, when it comes to making your decisions and confidently. For sure. But uh, at the end of the day, you can rest assured that no matter what any of us do as individuals, we're not going to be the ones causing these crashes. <laughs> no matter, yes, that's no right. matter how much leverage we use, we, we can't access enough leverage in the world uh, like these large companies can uh, that so often lead to these crashes. That's a really great, that's a really great point. And so, and a lot of the time, the retail investors are going to get blamed for it anyways. Uh, but you can take one look at um, the mar- you know, the market uh, effectuation of some of these major uh, major market participants, or how the derivatives market is, you know, an order of magnitude larger than you know the collective GDP of the world's nations. And it's you know, okay, uh, I think we know there's something else going on here than retail investors causing uh, some particular subset of of stocks to go up or down, right? Absolutely. It's the same kind of thing I see with people suggesting, oh, you know, everyone needs to chip in. We all need to reduce the amount of water we use, the amount of energy we use um, and all this kind of stuff. And then these like multinational corporations just absolutely abuse that and go the other way and waste so much water or not even waste water, but just um, dump sewage into water and ruin that water and turn it into wastewater. Uh, and uh, yeah, the same with electricity, just irresponsible uses of, of energy um, because it generates profit. Um, and, uh, you know, the CEOs and the boards and, and all that stuff, they're the last people to make the, the sacrifice. It's, it's down to everyone else to you know, make the sacrifice. And then we're told to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. <laughs> well, you got to socialize that responsibility, right? <laughs> Everyone's got to pull together unless it's to pocket profits. Then that's, you know, just a small portion. Oh yeah. We've got to privatize the profits for sure. And, and socialize the losses. That's the only fair way to do it. Right. <laughs> clearly sarcasm clearly yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah there's so many and as well it's interesting to see how many other if you look at the wikipedia um page on it the the amount of other countries that get involved because largely from the the tulip bubble or kind of from the 1700s the south sea bubble that that was um mostly a uh, English or European thing uh, from there until about um, the the kind of 1970s or yeah 1970s 1980s it's mostly England and America having these panics and slides and recessions and depressions um, but then we get Brazil coming onto the scene more as as the kind of electronic trading comes in um, and uh <laughs> like in eight, 1989 Rio de Janeiro stock exchange crashes um and it's as wikipedia puts it 
due to its weak internal controls and absence of credit discipline that led to its collapse and from which it never recovered. Um, so again, it's just over leveraging with credit uh, and weak internal controls. It just, yeah, the, we, we've seen similarly weak in, internal controls in other markets. They're just it, <laughs> put in circuit breakers, uh, which they did in Black Monday two years before the Rio de Janeiro uh, stock exchange crash. So it's, yeah. It's uh, kind of all over the place. And then, yeah, the, the what's it? Then in 91, 89, the Nikkei stock market crash uh, in Japan. And then kind of all across Asian financial markets in 1997, they all have a crisis. Uh, it happened in Hong Kong, Thailand, Indonesia, South Korea, Philippines. Um, and then... Uh, there was the Chinese stock bubble of 2007, which kind of leaned a little bit on the, the American one, 2007, 2008. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, we get more European sovereign debt crisis, Dubai debt standstill. Um, Dubai don't really come up much at all. Uh, I guess, well, they, they hit oil. They, they've been all right for a while now. But... Uh, yeah, and, uh, and most recently on this list, um, we've got, well, where does the article end? Let's see where that ends first. Ends with the coronavirus pandemic of 2020, a classic, um, which, yeah, is kind of recorded in the Wikipedia articles, just the 2020 stock market crash. Uh, S&P 500 dropped 34%. Um and yeah, it's perceived to largely be caused by the, the lockdowns. But then we've got the 2022 stock market decline. I guess they're calling it a decline because they don't want to call it a crash yet. Um, and this is happening at the same time as the 2022 Russian stock market crash, um, which apparently was in a reaction to the invasion of Ukraine. Um, the uh, MOEX index fell 43.5% in four days. Um, and in response, the markets were closed by a month, closed for a month by the Central Bank of Russia to, to prevent it. That's one hell of a circuit breaker. Um, and uh, after reopening after that month, it partially recovered, but was still down about 40% before from before the invasion. Um, so I, and again, I, you know, a lot of that pressure a lot of the sacrifice there has been put on the everyday person that lives in russia that i'm sure has nothing to do with the invasion or even cares uh about ukraine but uh they're getting dragged into it um and uh yeah who knows where this uh 2022 stock market decline might lead us where it might go some people think, you know, it's the strongest it's ever been. It's um, the S&P 500, for example, it, it peaked on January 3rd uh, in 2022. So, you know, it seems really strong. And then it uh, dropped by 30% in October. So, um, yeah, I wonder if we're in for, for something similar this year. It's... Uh, it's a double election year. There's, it's an election year for America and for England at the same time. Both 
kind of powerhouses in the Western financial markets. Um, and I think both of them are just about ready to hand over a completely collapsed system onto the next guy and be like, here, you deal with it. Um, but yeah, all speculation, of course. Well, it's going to be fascinating, certainly, uh, with that context to go through this year. Um, and just, you know, as a reminder on that S&P, of course, it it, it um, dipped down that 30% uh, quite recently, but then, of course, hit an all-time high again uh, just in the last couple of weeks on uh, January the 19th. So uh, does that mean that the recovery is complete? Uh, some might say. Or does that mean that that's the, the first step, um, you know, towards a different kind of correction? Uh, some might say that, too. Uh, but what's important is to keep in mind that these different things are possible. Um, stocks go up all the time until they don't. Yeah, like you, you never know as well. Like uh, we could be in for a similar thing of what happened in 1929 where it dipped and it came back a bit and then it just collapses again and is much more consistently downward in its trends um but yeah ultimately there's there's no telling uh we all thought evergrand was going to collapse a couple of years ago when it basically ceased operations uh that took a long time to unwind before they're now finally liquidating that stuff um i mean personally i just hope the people who bought homes expecting homes to be built for them uh got something out of it but i can imagine they prioritized uh other things first such as the board and uh, possibly the 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 government there because you know it's just just the way it works in in China. Um, but uh, I think someone made a funny comment earlier, uh, and it's something I hadn't really thought about before. This is why um, you see a lot of um, wealthy Chinese magnates coming to other countries and buying up properties there because that's the only way they can actually own the property <laughs> if it's not in China, uh, which is just such a strange, uh, yeah, the world's a strange place in the way things work. But, um, but yeah, I'm just hoping that people in general can start to own properties again. We're not in the rent to live era forever um because as uh we witnessed over the um covid lockdowns uh blackrock bought up entire towns in america um lloyd's in america in england lloyd's uh group they're a massive banking group here um they bought up loads and loads of properties as well um lots of people seem to be expecting something coming um that's going to impact um more than than just lockdowns and COVID could, uh, and they needed assets like uh, property or land to kind of balance things out. Um, so we'll we'll see we'll see if what they're expecting to come comes. Uh, feels like it might, but uh, yeah, hopefully. Uh, the more people DRS, the more people kind of take their stocks back, the more likely it is we're going to be able to also do that with land and homes um, and and make these things affordable and accessible again. Um, but uh, 
yeah i mean my i mean it's my personal hope and dream as well that ai helps accelerate all of this the kind of more democratic access to technology and information um surely should give more power to the people but uh yeah it's something we'll have to wait and see um i'll uh i'll put out one last time um before we kind of close up shop for the night uh if anyone has any questions about market crashes or anything to do with direct registration uh or, or just uh if you want to know how our days were um <laughs> you know we, we'd love to hear from anyone um uh if yeah even if you just want to say something get it off your chest we're happy to have you up uh give us a little uh little conversation star um uh it's something we're we're hoping to do more of in future episodes uh as we're going forward because we're going to be trying to focus more on efforts and actionable things as well and uh i think more community input with that is going to be really crucial but uh chad i see you've got your hand up there do you want to say something yeah i i have i've been thinking about it for a little while now and i've brushed on that a couple times but i'm just wondering if it's maybe a space um You think you might have accidentally muted yourself there? No, I think that was intentional. That was that was a baby, re a child reaction. That was something. Going great. Daddy, yeah. Daddy duty. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm wondering if if uh, the topic of um, DRS um, and and its relevancy, if the stock market um, moves into like a blockchain. Um, sort of sort of system where it's all decentralized um and and uh maybe kind of paint a picture of what that kind of looks like and and if you know if the drs is fully uh, relevant or if there would still be some use for it um with, with that sort of thing so you know you don't have to talk about it now but it might be a good thing to kind of kind of research and do some digging um you know, we could be a year out, you know, we could be, you know, four years out, you know what I mean? But um, I feel like it's closer than we think. Definitely. Yeah. Love that. I mean, we've uh, had, definitely something to talk more about. Yeah. I mean, we, we've had uh, someone who started a blockchain transfer agent uh, come on a couple of times and the stuff they're doing just sounds incredible in terms of being able to merge the technologies together um but yeah making going into a full-on like web3 environment a full-on decentralized environment with tokenized stocks and smart contracts and all, all of that good stuff um i think it'll be interesting yeah to speculate what what how drs can play into that environment but what i know right now uh and what i can say right now for a fact is that anyone who's directly registered will be first in line for that environment if if things were to switch and everyone else will just be getting what they can get uh the same way that pro uh the same way that voting is handled the people who are registered and on the on the company's ledger they get their votes counted one-to-one -one, uh and then everyone else has to fight for scraps Although they're not even aware they're having to fight for scraps, they send off their vote and they don't realise the broker then cuts off like several votes and then that gets hand, handed over to the truncating service and then they cut off however many more votes and then it finally gets handed to 
um, computer share or the transfer agent. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how many votes there should be. Uh, so just and just to follow up on that kind of I think what you mean, Bibic, is that, you know, assuming this transition happens because an issuer is themselves uh, sponsoring and minting uh, whatever kind of tokenized, be it, be it you know, non-fungible NFT or, other, you know, or otherwise, whatever tokenized stock it is, the issuer is creating it. Uh, as opposed to just um, an asset that's being distributed. Uh, I guess it's something that we could go into a lot more detail in the future, but that's something that's different, maybe misconstrued about what Overstock did with T0, uh, their platform. It's not that their stock trades on that. I mean, I know they're beyond now, but it's not that their stock is trading on the T0 platform. It's a asset which was provided to stockholders that is a, on the blockchain, but it's not one-to-one with their uh, trading stock. Um, it, it's going to be an interesting hurdle to see how companies is, uh, you know, I'll use a word like escape, but maybe it's less inflammatory to just say leave uh, the DTC and the centralized security depository and begin operating on uh, something outside of that. Um, I'm not 100% sure. It hasn't really been done yet to that kind of uh, to that kind of degree. Um, so what I what I would say though is that certainly. In terms of the ideology behind DRS, behind uh, self-involved ownership of your assets, uh, self-custodial cryptocurrency holding is like right there next to it, practically parallel ideologically. So there's a lot to be said about uh, the, the relationship between learning about one and being interested in one and learning about the other and being interested in the other. Uh, you know, ultimately, the landscape of how that transition might or could happen is a book as yet unwritten. Uh, but I, I definitely agree with you, Chad Mojo, that uh, the transition point, the inflection point, uh, the fervor of interest among millions of retail investors is only becoming louder for that kind of transition. So I'm on the edge of my seat regarding that, trying to be at the edge of the education on it, too. Nice. Yeah, we'll keep, keep going with that because that's that's the. Uh... That's I think one of the one of the you know larger subjects. If that, if that's where if that's where it is in fact going, um, it it would be very interesting to see kind of how the transition starts and stuff. Because you know, as we all know, you know, you DRS, you think we're good, but you know, a year and a half later, we're just like, oh wait a minute, you know, they're still being used in in some sort of manner by by the you know overlord. So uh, we're blockchain would kind of a completely eliminate that um so yeah though I'd, I'd be very interested to hear a, a space on that if it's uh if there's enough talking points definitely and we can try to get on uh Bivik mentioned before you know john wooten is a guy who's been on this show uh you can check out the podcast on like apple or spotify or whatever if you want to listen to the prior episodes but uh, he's founded a, tr- a transfer agent um that has been approved by the SEC to use the blockchain to track issuer ledgers. They don't have any public company clients as of yet. I think in part because this is, you know, it's, it's sort of a new idea, but they're using it for private clients. Uh, I believe he intends to, you know, expand to the public sector. Uh, it's something that we touched on a bit the last time he was on. And um, certainly as the, as the weeks and months go by, that technology continues to evolve. We get closer to a precedent and uh, and certainly we'll look to solicit to get him back on um because he's going to be more on the ground familiar with that probably than uh than any of us would be 
Uh, what was the name of that company? That's a uh, block transfer. Is the name of his transfer agent? Nice. Great shout. Worth mentioning. Uh, they've got a cool white paper. Um, something to check out for those who are curious about that perspective space. For sure. And I, I've put in the uh, the nest the link to our link tree, which has got not only the links to all the podcast platforms you can listen to all the other episodes on, but also uh, links to our various community spaces like the uh, Discord server and the Lemmy server. Um, and uh, yeah, we're always in there chatting and researching. So if uh, if you want to hear more from us or if you're like have a question that comes up later and you're like oh i wish i asked them while we're on the space call but um and you don't want to wait till next week then um by all means come and join us and uh yeah it's a it's a great vibe it's reminds me of the good old days where it's uh like everyone's supportive of the collective education going on uh it's just yeah good good vibe to be in for sure Nice. You guys have a Discord? Nice. <laughs> yep. It's in the uh it's in that link tree. Um if you stop by drsgme.org or ydrs.org, it's right on the uh uh header or maybe it's the footer. It's somewhere. We got it somewhere on there. But the link tree is probably easier. Uh, we just want to be helpful. We just want to have educational resources. Uh, so, you know, unless there's any other questions or community input, uh, we much appreciate you're all stopping by, um, just listening to us go on for an hour. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's always great. And we appreciate the platform and all your interest and support. Yeah, it's great. Like we, we started doing this just to be like, we just want another way to access if, this information. Some people like reading, some people like listening, some people like writing, like everyone has different ways of accessing and uh, digesting information. So um, yeah, it's so nice to see people turning up and uh, chiming in and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we hope to, well, I don't know what everyone's plans is for Valentine's Day, but uh, <laughs> we'll be around uh, next Wednesday uh, on, on February the 14th on Valentine's Day. We're going to be talking uh, all kind of whimsically about uh, how we got started with the DRS GME and why DRS efforts and um, various little tales and the people we've met along the way and um, the people that have kind of inspired us to keep doing things or adding new things or trying like it's it's been such a, a journey so it's going to be a nice little trip down memory lane i think um uh so yeah um i hope hope to see you all next week um and uh if you guys have any stories or anecdotes of things or like oh yeah i did like if our broker guides helped you or if you reached out to us on email and uh like um yeah we were we were helpful anything like that uh we'd love to hear it um uh but yeah uh i hope everyone has a great rest of their day i uh for one am going to bed because it's uh it is my bedtime now in england and uh yeah we'll see you all next week goodbye Be